Well, good morning. Hey, it's good to see everybody uh, in the house of the Lord today. Uh, we, if you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you with us today. Glad you kind of got out and, and got with us. And, uh, and also those that are viewing online, we're glad to have you with us. We know that uh, the reasons why you're there and uh, still some people are uh, reluctant to, to get out and get around others, and that's understandable. And so, But we're glad that we can be together that way. Uh, it's always good to come together on Sunday mornings or whatever time. It's always good for it. And, um, but speaking of coming together, this is going to be our last, last Sunday in our series about, uh, about being together, uh, living life together in extraordinary days. And these are kind of extraordinary days, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? And um, so this is the last. And George, uh, George Moranja is going to be bringing us a message today. And so we are just going to pray that the Lord's going to speak through him. We know he will, as he always does. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, it, it, it almost seems as if <laughs> during this last month when we've been having this uh, Together uh, series, it, that everything has happened to try to keep us from not getting together, you know? Uh, but, uh, but we've hung in there, and you've hung in there, and even online you've hung in there with us, and we're just so thankful that we've had that opportunity to do that. But you know that... Um, you know, in today's world, you know, there's, there are so many uh, distractions going on. There's so much, uh, so much noise uh, that uh, sometimes we have a hard time hearing the voice of God because of so much noise and so many distractions. That's, why, that's the reason why I chose that video a few minutes ago. Uh, with everything that's going into the world, it's so easy to get just all absorbed into all of that, and we forget that God is still working no matter what. And the thing about it is, is God's not wringing his hands. He's calmly working through his plan. And that's what, and, and that's what I think is happening today. Um, he continues to speak to us. We can be assured that God continues to work his plan and continues to speak with us. And thankfully, um, you know, he refers to himself as our great shepherd. Uh, you know, we, we know uh, the, the thing about it is, thankfully, that if you know the Lord today, if you're here today or, or online or whatever and you know the Lord, then you can hear his voice because that's what he says. He says, I'm the great shepherd. He says, the ones who belong to me, hears my voice. And so we can, we can always hear him. Uh, but sometimes, you know, when it gets so chaotic and, and noisy, you know, it's, it's hard, to, hard to hear him. And like I said, that video kind of says that. I mean, all, through all the, the big stuff and everything like that, it's usually that still, that still voice. That's what's going to speak to us. But sometimes uh, I was reading a thing where I was giving an example of this the other day where if, if you've ever been in a restaurant or someplace like that where there's a crowd of people and you're sitting across from somebody and somebody's talking and you just can't hear them, you know, there's just so much noise going on around you. Have you ever done that? Well, it's, 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 it's that same type of thing. So what do you do? You kind of start moving in a little bit like that. And if you're right across the table from you, you might say, well, okay, I think I'm going to sit in this chair right next to you so I can hear you a little bit better. So when you're in or others, you become intentional, intentional to hear his voice, hear the person you're talking to. Well, that's what I think that God would have us to do is we need to be intentional among all the chaos and all the craziness and noise and everything to do that, to make sure that we can hear his voice. Um, we can, uh, I heard, I was reading about this, and it says, somebody says something about, maybe we need to turn down the volume of the world. 
but we need to turn up the volume of his word. And so let's, uh, let's do that in order to be able to hear him. Um, we must hear him from all, from others around us. So that's the reason why it's so, it's so important that we be a part of the flock and we remain to be a part of the flock. If he's going to shepherd us, then he's going to be shepherding us as a flock. And whenever, and we also know that whenever we, we stray from that flock, what happens? We get ourselves in a lot of danger and we don't need to do that. But he does speak to us and we can hear his voice. Um, but he does, no matter what happens, he continues to speak and we must be intentional on listening. There's a, um, an incident in, uh, in, in, well, in the book of John, anyway, where Jesus comes into the temple and Jesus has already done just all sorts of things that the Jews were able to see and, and hear. Uh, shouldn't be any question in their mind, but there was. He had already, had already been talking to him about him being the good shepherd and everything, and, uh, but he walks into the temple. And what is the question they ask him? It says, if you are the Christ, would you please tell us? <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, are you not listening? You know, it's that kind of thing. Well, obviously, they were not listening. I'd just like to say, share with you a little passage of Scripture out of John 10. And that, and that was the uh, uh, context of, of what this says. It says, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that just great? That's why we come together. That's why we worship Him. That's why we praise Him. That's why we're glad to be together. It's because of that right there. Um, the uh, group's going to come, and they're going to lead us in, in, in worship in just a, just a few seconds. But why don't we go to the Lord in prayer right now? Dear Lord, we just thank you this morning that we can gather together and we can gather together away from all the, the noise and all the screaming and all the things that are going on in this world around us, Father. Uh, Lord, we're just thankful that even through it all, we can hear your voice. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are the mighty God and you are the shepherd of your people. Father, we know that you provide. God, we know that you protect. Lord, you, we know that even when we stray, though, you will seek us out and bring us back into the fold where there is protection and where, where we need to be. Lord, we pray this morning for those who are sick among us, also those that are recovering. Father, there's this terrible virus, and Lord, we're, just, we're living in this world here that's got it, and Father, many of us are coming down with it. 
Lord, we pray for those that are, that are sick. Just draw close to them, Father. Lord, we pray for your healing hand on, on them, Father, that you would restore them. And Father, we have those that are even here today or those that are online today, Father, that are recovering. And Lord, it just takes some time, Father, but we just ask you that you would just strengthen them and bring them back together with us. Lord, we pray for the uh, ones that are facing trials of various kinds. Lord, just many, many trials and tribulations that people are faced with, Father. We just ask you that you would be with them. Father, we pray for the families of those Marines that were killed this last week, Father, and all of those other ones, Lord, the many, many that lost their lives, Father, the families. They're all part of families, Lord. And we just ask you that you would draw close to them, Father, and that you would just show your, uh, your love and your, just put your loving arms around these people. God, we, just, we also just uh, especially pray for those Afghani Christians, Lord, the ones who have had a chance to listen to your word, hear your word, God, and they've responded and they've turned their life over to you. And now, Lord, they are, their lives are in danger. Lord, they will possibly be hunted. Father, I pray for courage. Lord, I pray for strength and boldness in their life, Father, that they would remain with you and would stand with you, Lord. Father, I pray for those that are facing the storm that's coming to the New Orleans area today, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, give them the ability to be able to uh, escape the storm, Father, but if, if not, Lord, that you would Protect them from the waters that are to come and the high winds. Lord, we pray just for courage and strength of all of us, Lord, as we face the many things that we're facing in these extraordinary days. But, Father, we can face them together with you, Lord. Lord, we claim today that greater is he that is, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We claim that, Father. We know your greatness, and we know your power. Father, we thank you for loving us. Father, we thank you for saving us. Lord, we thank you for keeping us and protecting us and seeking us. Lord, we just can't thank you enough for all that. Father, I pray today that you would speak through George. Father, that what we would hear from George would be your words and give us open hearts and give us ears that will hear as we leave here today, Father, we would know your power and your love and your mercy. Lord, help us to hear you today. We pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, the uh, psalmist writes that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. He's so great that he sent his son to die for us. And those are the things we want to sing about this morning. Let's all stand as we worship the Lord together. And keep in mind, let's think about the words to the songs we're singing, right? We're not just here to worship him with our voices, but mostly, hopefully, with our hearts, right? So let's worship the Lord together.
Romans 6 or 5, 6 through 11. The guy says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation.
Jesus loves me. Mystery of the cross I cannot
Don't leave on my account now. <laughs> I should have done this before. That's neat, isn't it? I wish I had that for my legs. <laughs> Just before we begin, Tuesday is going to be probably a very wet day for us here in Birmingham. Uh, that hurricane that's coming ashore in Louisiana, uh, it won't be a hurricane by the time it gets here, but it'll still be a good tropical storm with a lot of wind and a lot of rain. And so uh, we're going to forego our early morning men's Bible study. We, we hate to do that, but we don't want to have people trying to drive early in the morning uh, in that kind of weather. And then also that day we were going to have a Joy Club uh, movie, uh, pizza, and a picture. And we're going to push that off as well so that it, uh, some of us senior citizens uh, won't have to try to navigate wet roads and, and slick roads and whatever else. So um, we, we're going to take the, the safe way caution, and we'll have another day to, to come together. All right. Today is the uh, fifth and final message in our series of doing life together, living in extraordinary times. And they really have been extraordinary, haven't they? If we had time, each one of you could probably share a word of testimony of things that have happened that are truly extraordinary. I know uh, David has a saddened heart because one of his employees fell to his death while on the job this past week. And uh, I think of Ray and Elizabeth. When Elizabeth was taken to the hospital with COVID pneumonia, um, and that's what Glenda had to go through as well a few weeks back. But that was the first time Ray had been apart from her for any extended time, and it was tough. And Ray's heart had been just yanked out of, out of his chest. And finally, a few days later, she was able to come home. Hallelujah. And then he got the COVID. And he had to go to the hospital. And that's where he is just this minute. They've been through some extraordinary times. We all have. Uh, I've had COVID. My wife had COVID. Uh, 
I was basically in club med at the hospital for three days. Glenda was in ICU. Then our son got COVID and he was in ICU for 13 days. Finally was able to come home. We've all been through extraordinary things medically, emotionally, physically. And so uh, this is a timely set of messages that uh, we've had uh, here in the month of August. And I want to turn this on. Well, it's on already, yeah. But I want to thank John Burnett. He, He led us off, and he spoke on the subject of attitudes and purpose. And I want to thank John for your message Uh, He reminded us all that regardless of our circumstances, our identity as believers in Christ never changes. It never changes. God's purpose never fails. And we can trust Him. Then Pastor Thad came next and he spoke on identity and focus. And he kind of reinforced some of the things John said but emphasized again that we have an identity that makes us special to God. We are his children, redeemed by the death of his own son. It wasn't in my notes, but I don't think we'll ever fully comprehend until we get home just what happened on that cross when all of a sudden, after all the physical sufferings that he endured, He was rejected by the Romans. He was rejected by the Jews. They spit on him. They they did inhumane things to him just to get him to the cross, to Calvary, carrying his cross. Then they nailed him upon it. But after all the physical suffering, suddenly Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was the atonement. It lasted three hours. You say, well, three hours. You know, you could endure anything for three hours. Not if you were the Son of God being separated from the Father. That's the first time in all eternity that has ever happened. The Son could not have fellowship with the Father because He was bearing the sins of the world. And when God had deemed that the penalty had been paid, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Never again to sacrifice anything, especially animals. That ended. Mosaic law was gone. But he said, I won't have to come back and die again. It was once for all, and it gives you redemption and reconciliation You've been brought back into relationship with God. The wall has been taken down. I have walls on my mind right now because the city of New Orleans is depending upon these walls to protect them from this surge that's coming ashore, maybe as we're speaking right now. They spent billions of dollars, your dollars, through the Corps of Engineers to redesign the levees and to to make them... Uh, uh, better for lack of a better word and they're supposed to be able to withstand a storm surge of 20 feet or more and the city is counting on that to be true 
The city is counting on those walls to protect them. Well, we were separated from God, and through Christ's death, when you come to faith, we've been reconciled. That wall has been taken down. We can now have fellowship with Him, now and forever. Uh, And so, thank you, Thad, for your message. Next was David Nichols. He spoke on the subject of holiness and happiness, and that was a a masterful job of showing us how these two things work together. We, people want to be happy, but they don't realize that the secret of happiness is holiness. <laughs> when people are holy, they are satisfied. They're, they're happy. They see things as God wants us to see things. And we find our contentment in Him. And then, not to be neglected, our very own dear, honorable, and most holy Reverend Dr. Hughley spoke on uh, separate and together. And uh, he found a way to bring those terms together. Uh, I can't repeat every word that he said, but uh, it was just a, a, a great opportunity to listen to him. And basically he said that unity, true biblical unity, comes through the Spirit of God, not through decrees by denominations or uh, conventions and get-togethers where we draft a statement. Uh, True unity is when the Spirit is working in every one of God's children. And therefore, they're sending out the same signal. We all want the same thing. We want God to be glorified. We want Christ to be exalted. We want God's will, not our will. Thank you, Dr. Hugh, for that. And then um, we come to the fifth, fifth Sunday uh, of, of the month, and uh, I'm beginning to wonder if the elders should have tried to find a four-Sunday month instead of a five-Sunday month. Um, but here I am, and the topic that they've assigned me is sitting and serving. And I feel like Humpty Dumpty. I was pushed. Uh, I wasn't at the meeting when they talked about all this <laughs> and made out the assignments. But as an obedient uh, servant wanting to uh, maintain unity, <laughs> and uh, I-, I gladly accepted the challenge of speaking on this topic, sitting and serving. And by the way, Dr. Hugh, uh, The way Thad has talked about us the last few weeks, building us up and talking about, you know, our achievements and all these things, uh, it's it's no wonder that you weren't appointed president of the college and and I could have been your vice president and academic dean. Uh, But but, um, we weren't that quite good, were we? But, but we were good enough to hang around for a long time and enjoy the, the privilege of serving uh, on the faculty of the college. And I have to confess to you this morning that I knew this for weeks. I was given this assignment weeks ago. And yet I have wrestled and wrestled and wrestled in trying to put this together. Uh, I, I've... I've uh, Asked some of the men, 
You know, give me some, some synonyms. Tell me what you mean by, by sitting and serving. And uh, sometimes I didn't hear it well. Sometimes I just didn't understand it. But there I was. This is my topic. What am I going to do? So I said, all right, Lord, I'm counting on you to show me the way. And I just began to, to read Scripture and to think and wrestle with this idea of sitting and serving. I thought, are we talking about posture and position? No, that's not what uh, this is talking about. I don't think that wanting to tell us that there's a certain posture you have to be in to accomplish a certain uh, effect or whatever. Um, serving while we're sitting down, is that what this is going to be about? No. Serving has nothing to do with whether you're sitting or standing or moving. Is this referring to not serving? You've been laid aside because of illness, COVID, whatever, or taking a leave of absence because of health issues? I don't think that's what the elders were intending when they gave me these words. Uh, is there anywhere in Scripture where we can understand the meaning and the relationship these two words can have in a context together. And I kept reading, and I kept asking the Lord to show me. And I finally came to a text. It's not the only text, perhaps, but I came to a text that I think will allow me to accomplish uh, the assignment that I've been given. And I want you to turn with me in your... Bible or smartphone or tablet or laptop or whatever it is you have with you, I want you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And it's a very familiar passage when, when you see it. You've, uh, you've seen it many times, I'm sure. Perhaps you've heard messages on it. I confess I've never preached on this passage until today. And I really enjoyed the, the hours and hours and hours that I, I spent wrestling with it. It's not a long text, but I think it is a significant text that the Lord had recorded in Luke's gospel. And in, in a very uh, real way, I think that it will address this issue of sitting and serving. Uh, I want to read the text to you, beginning in verse 38. It says, now as they were traveling along, he, that's Christ, he entered, and let's see, I can give you this. He entered a, a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who, moreover, was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all the preparations. And she came to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. 
For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let me make a few observations. First of all, Luke does not name the place where Jesus goes. He simply says, a certain village. But it's the place of residence for Martha and her sister Mary. And it's not mentioned, but also their brother Lazarus. It's the little village of Bethany. That's where Jesus has come, to the house of Martha and Mary. And it's about two and a half miles southeast of Jerusalem. Secondly, it seems that Martha is the dominant. She's the dominant figure and perhaps the older sister. And thirdly, it's important, I think, to know that Jesus is not being treated as a stranger. This is his home away from home. He's been here before. When he comes to the Jerusalem area, he loves to come to Bethany to be with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. You remember when he got a call saying Lazarus died and he came back and performed one of his great miracles in bringing Lazarus back to life. But Jesus was not being treated as a stranger in this home. He was being treated as a member of the family. You ever go places like that? Uh, as a minister, uh, I would speak many times in churches outside of Birmingham when they were, I was filling in when they didn't, were without a pastor and all that. And after the morning service, one family would take me to their home and there I could eat and rest until the evening service. And then after the evening service, I would drive home. And every home that I went to, they didn't treat me as a stranger. They treated me as family. You know, I had, I had the royal treatment, so to speak. And uh, it was a great way of being reminded of the fellowship that we do have as believers in Christ uh, together. But uh, now, now that we've mentioned some observations, I want to talk about the context, the overall context of what's going on uh, as Jesus comes to Bethany to the house of Martha and, and Mary. And uh, I'm going to uh, read a quote. Part of it is not um, on your screen, but you'll see uh, the end of the quote. But Alfred Edersheim, who wrote a tremendous book the life and times uh, of Jesus the Messiah. He says, this must mark the close of Christ's journey to the Feast of Tabernacles. Since the home of Martha and Mary, to which it introduces us, was in Bethany, close to Jerusalem, almost one of its suburbs. It was the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles, and the scene recorded by Luke would take place in the open, leafy booth which served as the sitting apartment during the festive week. For according to law, it was duty during the festive week to eat, sleep, pray, study, in short, to live in these booths, which were to be constructed of the boughs of living trees. And although this was not absolutely obligatory on women, yet the rule which bade all make the booth the principal 
and the house only the secondary dwelling. And that would induce them to make this leafy tent at least the sitting apartment alike for men and women. And indeed, those autumn days were just the season when it would be joy to sit in these delightful, cool retreats, the memorials of Israel's pilgrim days. They were high enough and yet not too high, chiefly open in front, close enough to be shady and yet not so close as to exclude sunlight and air. And here's the conclusion of his quote. Such would be the apartment in which what is recorded passed. And if we add this, and if we add that this booth stood probably in the court, we can picture to ourselves Martha moving forward and backwards on her busy errands and seeing as she passed again and again, Mary still sitting, a rapt listener, not heeding what passed around. I think the context of the Feast of Tabernacles is very, very important to understand all that we read in this event in Bethany at the house of Martha and Mary. Maybe I should labor, linger just another moment and remind us about the Feast of of Tabernacles. In Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 39, it says, On exactly the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, uh, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths or lean-tos or uh, tents, little temporary dwelling places for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. This was a command from the law of Moses that God gave to Israel in the seventh month. And he makes that very clear. He says it over and over. The seventh month, that's the month of Tishri. And there are three important events in that month. This being the third and the final one. Uh, the, The first one is the Feast of Trumpets, which is recorded in Leviticus 23, verses 23 to 25. And then also in that month is the Day of Atonement. Very important event. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, the purpose of it is stated in verse 43. 
so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You remember those days when they left Egypt? They packed up what they had and they just left. Moses said, follow me, because he was following the Lord. And they came to the Red Sea and had their first great crisis because uh, the Egyptians decided after they said go, Pharaoh changed his mind. He says, no, go get them. And he sent his war chariots and his warriors after them. And they had a critical moment where they had the water in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. And God, through Moses, said, listen, Israel, if you identify with Moses, he will lead you to safety. If you don't follow, uh, follow uh, Moses, you'll be taken up by the Egyptians. And suddenly Moses parted the Red Sea, and they all went through the Red Sea on dry ground. Not a person got wet. One of my cartoons shows Israel a million or more, marching through the, rip, the seabed of, of dry ground. And one guy stopped, and he's fishing. <laughs> and it says, there's always one in every crowd. And many times, I'm that one. But this, the purpose, and so uh, to commemorate God delivering them and protecting them all the days they wandered in the wilderness until they finally came to the land. To commemorate that, he said, every year in the seventh month for a week, I want you to get out of your house and build a little lean-to, build a little tent, build a little booth, and, they, and use living branches, make it out of boughs of branches. Uh, Today, a lot of hunters do that to make a, a, a hunting place where the, the animal can't see him or his gun. And uh, it was a hardship because you, you had to go back to the house to get food to eat, but you had to bring it back out and, and eat it in your tent. And, and you had it uh, in your courtyard or in your backyard or in your front yard, wherever you had room to put it. And you had to live in that thing for a week, sleep in it. And, and uh, that's going on when Jesus is visiting the house of Martha and Mary. Uh, and it's a memorial to remind people of how God delivered them in the days that they had no place to live. They had no permanent home. And so they're living in these temporary shacks instead of their nice, comfortable house to remind them that that's the way it was when God took us out of Egypt. Wasn't easy, but we, we made the journey. I think that it's also, uh, 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 is, uh, that, that's, that's the backward look. I think there's also a forward look to it. They live in those booths as a reminder that God has promised them that one day when Messiah comes, he will give them a permanent place to live and they'll never ever have to move again. Uh, something that's a little, little 
related in some way. I was thinking from A.D. 70, and that's when the Romans invaded the land and they scattered in, in every direction. From A.D. 70 until 1948, Israel had no home. They were scattered all across the earth. And uh, from 1948, that's the day when the, the British uh, allowed them to have a piece of the land and create the state of Israel again. From that day until today, Israel lives in only a portion of all the land that God has promised them. And they also live under the threat of the Arab world, which is saying, we want to drive you into the sea. We want to exterminate you. And they've made statements like that in the United Nations to the General Assembly. We hate you. We, we want to exterminate you from the face of the earth. You're the cause of any problem that exists. It's your fault. And that they live under that threat every day that the Arab world wants to eliminate them and remove them from that little piece of land that they've been uh, controlling since 1948. Uh, only their Messiah can one day give them the perpetuity of knowing that they'll never, ever lose their home again. And so this is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's being sacrificed, celebrated rather, at the time Jesus came to the home of Martha and Mary. And they were living in their booths. But the booth had nothing in it but just uh, some chairs to sit on, perhaps. And Martha is trying to prepare a meal. And she wants it to be a very, very special meal because Jesus has come to visit with us. And so she's having to go back to the house to get everything she needs to bring the table, the chairs, the utensils. You ladies can identify that if you were to have to live in the, in the lawn shack, the, 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 we have a little thing in the backyard. Don't tell our HOA. Uh, it, it's not, it's not a, 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 technically, it's not a full-size full shed, but it's a little upright thing that leans against the back of the house, and it's just deep enough where we can put the lawnmower and hang some shovels and rakes and things, and it, it's sort of borderline. Uh, it's not a shed, but it, it's not nothing. It's something. And... Uh, by the way, they're at Sam's, you can get it at Sam's Club for about $279. Tell them I sent you. <laughs> but you can imagine how Mary is going back, excuse me, Martha is going back and forth trying to get what she needs from the house and bring it out to the little booth so that they can have their meal in the booth. And it's a special meal, probably a six-course, a five-course meal with all the things that you ladies would want to do if you had somebody special coming to, to eat with you. If I were to come eat with you, it wouldn't be scrambled eggs and toast. Uh, you would have uh, eggs Rockefeller and, you know, and, all, and deviled eggs. That, that's also special. But you get the point. And her helper is supposed to be Mary. Where's Mary? 
She's not helping. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so Mary is, Martha is getting a little, she's coming apart a little bit. She's losing her cool, one generation used to say. And uh, that, that takes me to the, the incident itself. And it, it requires that we do a contrast between Mary and Martha. And uh, Ma- Mary took her place seated at Jesus' feet, as you would envision a disciple. She was an eager learner who evidently didn't want to miss a word of her Lord's teaching. And by the way, that word listening was listening. It's an imperfect tense, and it suggests that she was settled and she wasn't going anywhere. She sat down in front of Jesus' feet, and she didn't care if the whole city of Jerusalem burned. She said, here's where I'm staying, because my Lord is here, and I want to hear every word that he has to say. He also, she also addressed him as her Lord. That's another thing about Mary. She had no problem at all identifying Jesus as her master. And therefore, I want to hear what my master has to say. I want to hear uh, whatever he has to say, even if he's going to be telling me what, I should, what he wants me to do. But in contrast to Mary, here's Martha. She's pulled by, by different directions. She's distracted. She's preoccupied with the preparation of a very special meal in honor of Jesus' presence. And it was praiseworthy in terms of her desire, but we're going to see that it was a mistaken effort. But it did reflect her feelings toward her special guests. We don't criticize Martha for not having a high regard for Jesus. She loved him too, just like Mary. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Martha's remarks to the Lord reveal just how she uh, felt uh, a good hostess should be. And she wanted to be a good hostess. And she felt that this, this home run of a meal would be the thing that pushed her over the top, that Jesus would say, boy, and Martha, I've really got the cream of the crop. And in many ways, she can be admired. But Jesus found something at fault. And when he responds in verses 41 and 42, he says, the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus' remarks to Martha was a gentle rebuke. And I think that's why he repeated her name. And in doing so, he wanted her to know that he still loves her. And he appreciates all of her efforts. But he also wants her to know that she's being worried and bothered 
by the wrong things, so many things. Being worried, that word infers inward anxiety, the heartburn, uh, the, the, the upset stomach, the, the, the agitation. Uh, the, the system is just not working like it should be. You can, you can worry yourself uh, to death, literally. And uh, she's being bothered. That's outward agitation about the things that are going on. It's bugging her to see, uh, to go past Mary over and over, back to the house, back to the hut, back to the house, back to the hut. And where's Mary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to what he's teaching, listening to what uh, he's saying. And as far as we know, uh, there was nobody else there, so everything he was saying, he was saying for the benefit of Mary, who was the only one who was listening. And Jesus says, only a few things are necessary. He says, you, you're getting all bent out of shape trying to prepare a meal that's really not necessary. You don't have to give me a five-course meal. I understand that circumstances are unique right now. I know where we are. I realize that it's putting a big imposition on you. You know, some crackers and, 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 and cheese would be fine. That way you could bring it out and then you could join your sister and get in on the fellowship and listening to what I'm saying and demonstrate that you, are, you too are a disciple. You're a learner. You can't learn if you're not listening. You're worried and you're bothered. Inward anxiety and outward agitation about many things in the preparation of an elaborate meal that's not necessary. He says only a few things are necessary, really only one. You ever think what that one is? One what? And uh, again, I turn to a, a quote by a man named J.W. Shepherd. He says, here Jesus must have played on the word. Just one staple dish would have required little time and attention and left her, Martha, unencumbered for other things more important. There is one thing which is more important than all else, the spiritual one thing, which Mary had chosen as her good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary chose the spiritual thing to do, and Martha was consumed with the physical thing to do. By the way, if you have a Ryrie, uh, well, let's see. Uh, I thought I, that there's more to it. Jesus must have been smiling. This is J.W. Shepherd continuing. He must have been smiling as he administered this loving rebuke. Fret and fussiness he must reprove, even in this lovely uh, matron, as well as the superfluous hospitality which occasions it. At the same time, he exalts fellowship with him to a very high place of excellence and permanence in the life of the disciples. This is the principal thing needed, needful for life, and its reward is permanent and it will not be taken away. 
So he's contrasting a spiritual thing from a physical thing. Mary chose the spiritual. Martha chose the physical. She thought she could please the Lord by putting together a knockout dinner. Mary said, I'll please the Lord by listening to him and to what he wants to tell me, to what I need to hear, to the things that will shape my life as I continue to be a disciple, to be a follower, a learner of Christ. It was not Martha's service that Jesus rebuked, but her overoccupation with the material side, her nervous distraction, her anxiety, and perhaps her jealousy toward her younger sister. But it was Mary who braved ridicule and criticism and anything else to do what she thought the Lord wanted her to do. Sit down and listen. And let me talk to you and tell you some things that you need to know. By the way, a little time later, moving toward the, the time of, of uh, Jesus' going to the cross, that he came to Bethany into that house, and Mary took an uh, alabaster box full of very expensive perfume. Judas got upset because she broke it, and she started washing Jesus' feet and then drying his feet with her hair, just showing her total devotion to him. And, and Judas, who was the treasurer of the group, that's, that's funny that of all people, Jesus said, Judas, you take care of the money. And uh, he's thinking, Lord, we could have sold that for 300 denarii, which is a year's pay in that time. And we could have given it to the poor. And Jesus rebuked Judas and said, listen, you'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Not, not in the sense of what I'm, what I'm about to do. Um, and so Mary, she illustrated doing the right thing, the priority thing, the spiritual thing. Uh, well, I didn't realize I put that on there. Here's some takeaways that I bring from this passage. It's a simple passage, and yet when you put it in the context of all that's going on with the Feast of Tabernacles and living in the booths, here are some things that, that the Lord has impressed upon my mind. To be occupied with Christ is more important than to be occupied for Christ. Now, I hope that doesn't sound heretical. I'm not saying that we should not be busy doing things for Christ. That's why he's left us on this earth. You ever wonder about the day I came to Christ? Why didn't he say, Zoom, beam him up, Scotty? Why has he left us on this earth? To a, to a, a, a world that's not our world anymore, but we're in the world, but it's not our world. He's assigned us responsibility to communicate to this world the truth of the grace of God through Christ. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't be occupied for Christ. We have uh, missionaries all over the world who are giving their lives, especially in places like Afghanistan. They're giving their lives to help people 
come to know who Christ is. But there's a priority. To be occupied with Christ is more important than to be occupied for Christ. And I think that the greater the occupation with Christ, the better the occupation for Christ will be. To devote oneself to the Word of Christ, and for us it's the Scriptures. We don't have Christ walking on earth as Mary did, but we have His Word. And He claims that it's His Word. And therefore, when we read the Scriptures, we're listening to Christ. We're listening to what He wants to say to us. To devote oneself to the Word of Christ so as to be taught by him is more important than to be busy for him. There are a lot of people who are busy for him, but they're not being taught by him. And most of the time, eventually, those people start getting confused and they start teaching things that are not the words of Christ. They compromise or they just uh, bite the hook, so to speak. I catch bass out of the lake at Carrington, and you got to let them go after you catch them. And I finally got on. It took me a while, but I finally realized that I've caught this bass before because I, I saw where I put the thing in his lip to wave and, and I put a little mark on him. And somebody said, well, how in the world can you catch a, a bass again? You'd think that after you caught him one time, you know, he's never going to go for a, a, a brim on a hook or whatever. Well, that's their nature. Their nature is to eat. And they love to eat brim. And so when they see a brim, even though the last time they, they caught, ate a brim, it was a painful experience. I got yanked here and there and pulled out of the water and my picture taken and got, sh guy showing me off. Then he throws me back in the lake. Bam! And then he turns around and does it again. The same fish. A lot of Christians, they get to the point where they don't know what truth is anymore. Because they're not being taught by him. And when you're taught by him, that's going to have an impact on how you're being busy for him. One more. Those who desire to minister for him need to learn that the better part was to be preoccupied with him and to be taught not to neglect him in their ministry. Billy Graham, I wish I would have written down the source, but I, I, did, I did read it, and uh, if it's true, then uh, I'm, that's, that's what I'm assuming. But they say Billy Graham, near the end of his ministry, and he had such a tremendous impact in his generation. He was the America's evangelist. He preached, I don't know how many times, to thousands of people in outdoor arenas, and his, his gospel message never changed. He was a true preacher of the gospel of grace. But he, was, he said, if I could start over again, I'd preach less 
and studied more. And I, I would say, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good, good uh, philosophy to have in life. That's what they tried to do to me in Dallas Seminary. They tried to show me how to study more and keep my mouth shut for, for a while. By the way, have you ever heard of a guy named Oral Hershiser? If you're a baseball fan, you probably know of him. He, he was back in the 80s. Uh, he was a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, he dominated batters, hitters, like no other pitcher in his, his age group. He was unique. He was the best. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. In 1988, he received the Cy Young Award as the best pitcher in baseball. He also won two MVP awards, Most Valuable Player Awards, one for the National League playoffs and the other for the World Series, which they won, the Dodgers. This guy accomplished everything a baseball player dreams of doing. And during the National League playoffs, the TV cameras zoomed into the dugout when the Dodgers were, were at bat, and Hershiser is sitting there with a jacket on to keep his shoulder warm, and he's obviously singing something, but they can't hear, and they can't read his lips, but he's singing while he's waiting for the, to go back out on the field. Um, and uh, the TV commentator, not knowing what he was singing, he said, well, he said, Oral's record certainly gave him something to sing about. And they thought he was singing about his, his excellence and what he was accomplishing as a pitcher, probably pitching a no-hitter. I don't know. But a day or two later, he was on the Johnny Carson show. And Johnny Carson saw that clip. And Johnny Carson asked him, he said, what were you singing while you were sitting in the dugout? We, we saw your lips. We knew you were singing. We couldn't make it out. But tell us. Matter of fact, we want you to sing right now on my show. Uh, sing what you were singing in the dugout. And he was kind of reluctant to do it. But eventually he did it. And uh, the audience roared its approval that Oral Hershiser was going to sing what he was singing in the dugout in a National League playoffs, which was a very important uh, baseball game. Here's what he was singing. And he said, don't just tell us, sing it. So Oral Hershiser said, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In the middle of one of the most important baseball games of his life, Oral Hershiser was sitting with God, with Christ, and he was serving Christ. Because on Johnny Carson's show, millions of Americans found out what kind of a heart Oral Hershiser has. And he went on to talk about his relationship to Christ and how Christ changed his life. And he's devoted to him. Even when he's playing in a national baseball 
uh, playoff game, which is uh, about as important as it gets. Martha and Mary, they were sisters, and I think they both loved the Lord. But as an old Irish saying goes, if Bill and Sue think there's a problem, and Bill and Jack think there's a problem, and Bill and Joe think there's a problem, rest assured, Bill's the problem. Well, Martha was the problem because she was focusing on serving to the exclusion of fellowshipping. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't serve. We need servants. It takes servants for a church to function. We've been through a lot. We've lost a lot of our people temporarily, some, some not so temporarily. And we need people that uh, are, are invisible. You don't see them, but they're in nurseries taking care of babies. They're in classrooms dealing with small children that's like trying to put, uh, put uh, uh, rats on the wall with, with, with jello or something. I mean, it, it, they're serving the Lord by helping children when they begin to learn to learn about Jesus. We have people who are ushers at the doors. We have deacons. We have a board of elders. That's the spiritual overseer for the, 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 the spiritual state of our church from day to day. Uh, there's all kind of opportunities to serve. We need somebody to take the test to drive a bus so that when the seniors go somewhere, uh, we have a, a good bus driver and we don't have to hire somebody to do it. Uh, all kind of opportunities to serve. Be missionaries. Uh, I, I don't have time to go into it. But the bottom line is, the quality of your service is going to be in proportion to how much time do you sit at Jesus' feet and let him teach you and encourage you and prepare you. Um, Excuse me one second. I gotta come back to the other page. Uh, sitting and serving. The more you sit, the better you'll serve. Everybody talks about serving, but Jesus says the better part is sitting. And in that context, sitting meant put yourself under the teaching of Jesus. Well, where is he? Well, he's in this word. Be a student of the word. That's why we emphasize studying the Word, because that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to sit with Him, because that's the preparation to go with Him and speak about Him and for Him in every situation that we experience in our lives. We're going through some extraordinary times, very difficult for many in different ways, and maybe it's a good time to evaluate your spiritual life as a believer. Are you serving? Better yet, are you sitting? Have you become preoccupied with Him so that you will learn how not to neglect Him 
as you serve him? That's what I think sitting and serving is all about. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your spirit who takes your word in in the printed page and just opens our eyes in ways that we otherwise could not see. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to serve you. We want to serve you all the days of our lives and every day of our lives. But we also see that it's important not to serve, but also to sit. To sit under you and your teaching and your fellowship. To allow you to speak to us through your word and to challenge us and teach us and prepare us to be better servants. And so, Father, thank you for reminding us through this story of Martha and Mary that there's a better part, and the better part is always the spiritual part. Spending time with you, Father, is always better than doing something for you. But you want us to do both. You want us to fellowship with you through your word so that we can serve you. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, guys, as we close out our service together. Light of the world by darkness, say, 
Amen. I love the choice of songs today. I just, before I forget to say that, I just said it. <laughs> it was great. Really, really appreciate y'all's sensitivity. Just seemed like we sang about Christ, and, and I love that when he's the center of it. It was great. And George, you did a great job talking about sitting and serving. That's exactly what I was hoping would happen, and the Lord just really blessed that. I really, really appreciate you. One of the things about George when I was in college was you never knew when to take notes because he was just kind of telling stories and then he'd go through his lesson and he's preaching and he's teaching and then he's preaching and I'm like as a freshman thinking when do I start taking notes <laughs> I should have been doing it all along but uh, I do appreciate so much uh, his ministry and Dr. Hugh from last week thank you guys so much and John and David all of you are greatly appreciated um I wanted to uh, just ask you to pray uh, for some guys. This morning during Sunday school, I had an opportunity to go to the Hoover Jail and uh, speak, and there were about 15 men in there. And um, there were five of them that came up to me after I was finished, and uh, four of them were Hispanic guys, and two of them spoke pretty well. Spoke When I say that, spoke English pretty well. The other two, not so much. But um, I would like for you to pray for Salvador and for O, <laughs> he tried to tell me his name, and I didn't get it. But an O was in there, and I said, can I just call you O? And he's like, you know, shaking his head, so I have no idea if he understood me or not. But um, pray for O, and then also John. And John has two brothers in that same jail with him. All these guys are federal inmates. And so um, you just pray for them, and they had a really good response. And, and then a guy named Justin, and uh, just great opportunity to talk with them and and uh, we need to pray for Bill White. You know, he goes in there, I think, every fifth Sunday of the of the year that there's, you know, he just has an opportunity to go and speak and, and to really minister to these guys. And I just uh, think we should pray for him and that opportunity. So uh, why don't we bow and let's close in prayer. God, just thank you so much for today and um, the opportunity we had to um, just worship you. Really, Lord, to sit at your feet and to be able to just sing praises to you and to 
to hear your word. And I just thank you for George and his faithfulness, Lord, to study and uh, to bring forth what we needed to hear today. And Lord, it is true that the longer we sit at your feet, the better perspective we have on service. So I pray you would help us to do that. And, and Lord, help us to not grow weary of doing that, but that we might just sit at your feet and just take in what you've given us from your word. Lord, I do want to pray for um, Salvador and for, for John and for O and for John's two brothers, uh, for Justin, Lord, I just pray you'd continue to work in their hearts and their lives. And they're in a rough spot right now, and we just uh, commit them to you. And I pray for Bill, Lord, as he um, heads up that prison ministry there in Hoover. I just pray, Lord, that you would just um, give him the wisdom that he needs as he leads that ministry and help us to be faithful to help him just through prayer and just maybe even some of us volunteering to go down there uh, from time to time and speak and tell these inmates about you. Because, Lord, for them, um, you know, that hope word is a huge, huge word. And so I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to be keenly aware of the opportunities you give us this week as we walk and hopefully as we live for you. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.